1: All right, everybody. We had our little break. We're going to come back and record another couple of segments. So we have, um, first off, we have uh, Jake Olson, who I kind of mentioned before. He's going to be on the first segment. And then we're going to bring up uh, Chris Trevino and have Dan Keeley. And Dan and Keeley and Chris kind of talk about spring football. So any kind of questions you have about the team, of everything they saw and stuff going on uh, for USC spring football? But, uh, really excited to have, uh, Jay Golden. We're actually going to be doing an event together on June 25th. So make sure you stay, you pay attention to that. Uh, his company, engaged is doing a great job. So we'll, we'll give you a lot more details of what's going on with that. But if you don't, so new panelist, Dan Weber, he's been a beat writer for USCFootball.com for how Ever. long, Dan? Forever. Forever. Ten years or more or how long? Nine, I think. Nine years. Okay. Um, and Keely, you're. So there's a, there's a lot of background noise. So please, when the guys are up here talking, if you guys can kind of just keep it down and stuff when you're in the back, so make sure everyone can hear. Yeah. We, (laughs) yeah. I know this is kind of a, we didn't really know what to expect because this is kind of a strange thing. We've never done anything like this before, like recording the podcast and stuff. But uh, I'm going to step away and let these guys, let Keeley take over things. If you guys have any questions, this microphone and stuff will be up here. But we're really excited to have Jake Olson in the house. So thanks, Jake, for coming.
2: Yeah, so thank you, Jake, for coming of in. Of course. We, we love talking to you. I think the last time we talked to you was at USC's Pro Day, and you were raising awareness. Yes. Um, can you talk about that experience and what that was like for you? I know you trained for that. How was that experience like?
3: No, it was awesome. I mean, uh, to be a part of – obviously, Pro Day was amazing uh, in itself, but to obviously be doing it for the cause I was, was made it that much more special. And uh, a lot of hard work went into that, and I appreciated everyone's support in that. I mean, it was just so fun to see kind of people – rally behind me, and it was just, it was touching, just to see people, again, donating, and just getting behind what I was trying to do, and that was, uh, obviously, kind of, weirdly enough, it gives me goosebumps every time I say it, but, you know, obviously, returning return and cure the cancer that, you know, took my eyesight, so it was, it was definitely, um, it was special, and I, again, I just appreciate everyone who, who participated in that and helped me do that.
2: I remember you said that, I think, coming into USC, you could only do three bench presses? Uh, well, no,
3: I probably, coming to NC, I probably can do zero, um, <laughs> but I was saying, I remember, the first time I ever put 225 on a, on a bar was my sophomore year when we were going to the Rose Bowl as we were practicing, and I was just lifting that, that uh, one December day while we were practicing for the Rose Bowl, and I put 225 on I think I got like three, and it was just felt was, was so heavy. So it definitely, uh, you know, your body's amazing, amazing, amazing uh, being, and it adapts, and you just got to train the right way.
2: And for those who, who forgot how much you did, how much did you actually do?
3: Uh, I, I got 17, so, so that was, yeah, there we go.
2: Well done, well done. So uh, we're gonna talk about your USC career uh, in a little bit, but what do you? What is life like now for you? What are you up to?
3: <laughs> life, life's good, man. It's uh, it was, it was kind of weird not being you know at practice every day in the uh, for spring ball or kind of being around there, but uh, it, it, was, it felt it felt good. It felt again different, a little sad, but definitely uh, was was it was definitely time to move on. I, you know, I'm doing a lot of cool things, speaking a ton, traveling a ton. Again, I, I as Abraham, uh, Ryan said. have my uh, company engaged. That's going really well. Getting back to golfing a ton. So definitely moving along. Um, You know, for the four years there, definitely enjoyed every single second of it. But there was a lot of things that I had to say no to just given NCAA, you know, regulations and some other things that I just, you know, couldn't miss football for. So definitely take away football and it it freed up the schedule. And it wasn't wasn't free for long, that's for sure.
2: (laughs) So what are you up to, what specifically are you doing now?
3: So again, so I'm, you know, my months look like traveling to many different con- cities uh, around the USA, speaking a ton, um, doing different golf tournaments, going to be playing in a couple golf tournaments coming up in the fall here, um, and then also, again, working on my business uh Engage. So that's uh, really what I've been
2: up to. That's really awesome. Dan. if you want to jump in. Well,
4: I, I'm really interested in the uh, competitive golf aspect of it, and I was telling uh, Jake, the two great blind golfers in America were both college athletes. Uh, Charlie Boswell was a halfback at Alabama, uh, about to go into the NFL. World War II broke out. He lost his eyesight in a tank explosion, came back, came back and, and learned how to play golf. Uh, then you had uh, uh, a guy named Peter Brown was the uh, uh, leading scorer in the history of Tulane University, lost his sight. But uh, the fact that they were both college athletes, I think Jake is going to have, a, I think, a real opportunity in the Blind Golfers uh, Association and competition to bring uh, to bring uh, you know some great attention to that. Uh, Charlie Boswell got to be great friends with uh, Bob Hope at 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 uh, actually at uh, the first championship was at Englewood Country Club, and uh, so I think Jake is going to have the chance to. To really do a lot of good things in golf. Uh, no, I
3: hope so. I mean, it's 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 a really fascinating thing. I mean, um, you know, I think uh, disabled golf is kind of becoming a little more trendy, and that's unfortunately kind of well, not unfortunately, but it just it envelops a lot of different things from people, you know, golfing with one leg or one arm. Um, and I think blind golf is kind of completely separate than that. And that you know, golf. Uh, and trust me, I know. I know it'd be hard swinging with one leg, but there there is something different about not actually seeing the ball. So. <laughs>
4: Uh, I think uh, the lowest score, championship score, uh, recorded by a blind golfer, uh, is 74 uh, at Mission Hills Country Club. Uh, how close do uh, you think you might be able to get to, to that number?
3: <laughs> definitely. I mean, you know, knowing my potential out there, I think I could definitely beat that one day um, for sure. So, you know, just, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, it's... It, it's definitely just trying to, I'd say, in my four years of, you know, I played four years of high school, obviously, and was serious about golf, and then when I came to college, I was away from home, so I couldn't play as as normal as I wanted to, but kept definitely my swing loose, so now this entire spring, kind of getting into the summer here, just kind of fixing my swing up, making sure I want it exactly how I want it, and going into shooting the scores, I know I can shoot, and, you know, I did get to play a lot of 18 in college, but there was definitely times in, in, in college when I'd come home on spring break or some other times where I'd, you know, get a club in my hand for a couple weekends in a row and, you know, I'd go out there and shoot maybe a 39 or 40 on nine. So, I mean, you know, there's definitely, again, I've seen my potential out there. I think I could definitely, as, as long as I work hard at it and continue to work hard on it see, it, see it just keep dropping.
4: How do you, you know, fix your swing or how do you understand how your swing is doing?
3: Um, it's just, it's really understanding just the, Nature of the swing itself, I mean, when you go out there and you're with an instructor, he's telling you what you know what is going wrong in the swing, what to feel then to correct that. I mean, you can show someone their swing on video, you can show them where your hands are opening up or where your your club's coming off plane or whatever the case is for the golfer, but really when you're in your swing, obviously no one's looking at their swing as they're trying to, you know, strike a ball. So at that point it really just just comes back to feel. So when I'm out there with my dad, you know, it is looking at my swing either on video or whatever the case is. And understanding what's going wrong and then trying to have that feel that comes when you're doing it right, saying, okay, well, let me tuck my right elbow in here, you know, um, I need to feel, me take it back, uh, the club back square, you know, closing, closing the club face down a little more, whatever the case is. So that's really how you, how I've learned and how I think everyone should learn the game of golf is really understanding your swing, understanding, okay, if I feel this motion with my shoulders, I know the club's going to come up and over, and that's going to cause me to come across the ball and it's going to slice. I mean, that's, that's just something that, again, if you can see or you can't see, you should be able to feel that know that about your swing.
4: How much has your football helped your golf?
3: Well, I think golf more helped football than anything in that when I went into high school, obviously I didn't play football my freshman or sophomore year. I, I just played golf, but I really wanted to play football just because I loved it so much. And to come upon the long sampling position then was, okay, I know I can golf, I know I can repeat, I know I have that muscle memory and ability to repeat, so let me find a position then on the football field that I could you know, have kind of those, that, those same attributes, and that was with long snapping, of just repeating that same snap over and over again. So I think golf really trained that part of my mind, that, you know, again, that kind of muscle memory, um, you know, repeatability type of uh, part of my mind that allowed me then to transfer that into long snapping.
4: There's one takeaway from playing college football one thing that just stays with you what what would that be
3: I think it's uh just the impact you have on people I I really think that I'll take that away and just that it's amazing to see kind of just I guess and people tell me it all the time I mean coach Baxter says I'm I guess I'm the most normal guy he's ever met which is the biggest compliment just because I guess you just kind of forget I'm blind which is again the ultimate compliment but you know for me just to be out there doing something I love um you know if it was just walking around the field if it was snappy if it was warming up throwing the ball or whatever and just kind of seeing how that impacted people I mean that was special that put a smile on my face every single day and trust me I mean it is tough it's a lot of hard work and there are days where you are tired or don't feel necessarily going out to practice but to kind of see the impact you can you have on a daily basis with people that's shaking hands before after practice or you know waving taking pictures of people in the the stands when you're down on the field or meeting people on the sideline I mean all that just collectively comes in in really, again, impacts me um, to continue to do what I did out there. And, and so I think that's what I take about it. it's just the positive impact that, I guess, me just living my life had on people, and that's just something that uh, I go to bed at night just thanking God for.
2: When it comes to the logistics of you snapping, um, I, more like the game logistics, the game had to be a certain way. Did people talk to you like, okay, it's, it's starting to get a blowout? Did Clay Hilton come, out, come up to you and be like, okay, get ready? Like, how, how, What were the logistics <laughs> of you going in?
3: You know, that that's, it really was, you know, my junior year coach had come up to me um, and said, you know, we want this to, see it to, to happen. So I knew going into uh, Western Michigan that was going to be, but for all the rest of the games, I mean, it just was, I think any, any given game I could have gone in. Um, I think there was definitely moments more than others where I, I think people kind of in their head, like just as a fan would, as just, I would, I was just, okay, this is making more sense, but um, I also remember, you know, Coach Helton definitely saying, you know, like I, I I'm, I know there's some restrictions with with the, with the kind of the medical staff that was okay. We we don't want him taking too much contact, but I, I honestly don't think that if if the position came to it where we were in a situation where I would need to go out there and stand, Coach would have put that away. So I just I was just ready at any given point in time.
4: Was there a, a moment in any game that you know it just jumps out at you that you said this was? you know, the high point of, of being in college, playing football?
3: Well, um, I mean, obviously every time I got out there, it was was just really fun. It was just really, really fun. Um, but I think winning that Rose Bowl was very special. Um, you know, growing up, watching SC play in the Rose Bowl, as we kind of talked about here today, is just very special. And to kind of experience that, um, being with the team, especially I think that that really uh, game kind of encapsulated our season in that we were down. We were had a low point. We needed to fight back. You know, at halftime we came out. Penn State put you know what three touchdowns up and three offensive you know um, possessions if not plays, and it was just okay. And here we are now down 15 points. We got to fight ourselves back. You know, we have a whole half to fight back into this game. And I remember, I think the toughest part of that game was we came back and scored, and we were only down by uh, I forget if we. Had the two point conversion if we scored right away, or we down by eight or seven, and we kind of had the momentum back on our side. And I remember uh, it was when Cam was um, for targeting, which was a questionable call, and there's a couple of other uh, PI calls that were called on that play. And the, it felt like the refs had just completely given them. We got a couple <laughs> third down start, uh, stops, and the refs just threw those flags out. And you're just like, what are you, like what is going on here? And it just they, it almost felt like they gave them that drive, guess to continue that drive three or four times, and they go ahead and score a touchdown to go back up by two, t- two scores. And it's just like. At that point, that was kind of later in the third quarter, and I was just like, man, that, that really just is a killer. Um, but luckily enough, we were able to even fight through that, and it was just an awesome moment when, again, eventually we uh, Matt put up that field goal, and it just was an was incredible moment, incredible season, incredible lesson, and, and Coach made sure we learned that lesson of that, you know, no matter where you are in life, no matter where you find yourself, that it, it's never an uh, excuse to give up or never excuse to not at least try to continue to fight in, in, in life or in that game.
2: I think when you're a little kid and you're a football fan, you dream to to play for your, your favorite school. That's something you got to do now that you've done that. Does it live up to expectations? <laughs> what What are some things that you didn't really expect when it comes to playing college football for your dream school?
3: Man, uh, I mean, I, I never expected to lose my uh, my my head coach, my freshman year, I guess, <laughs> to alcohol. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. So, you know, I come from Morris Lutheran. Um, you know, I, I play private, you know. Lutheran school so I come to USC you know first time kind of I wouldn't say the real world but just you know kind of more secular world and I you know you could kind of tell sometimes coach was feeling it and I just was like maybe this is how college football is I guess (laughs) I you know I don't know (laughs) so you know I think that was but no I mean there was there was a lot of ups and downs I mean playing at SC I, I recognized what I was wearing I recognized I had that emblem on my chest. Every time I, I put it on a jersey, and it was just very special. Knowing, as again, as you talked about, a little kid in that stands, kind of, you know, having that revered, uh, that you know, that that respect for that, uh, I guess, that emblem out there, that, that sign, that SC, and so it was just very, it was very respectful. It was, it was very, it was an honor. It was a privilege um, just to be out there, and so I think. If it was again not making a bowl, if it was going to the Rose Bowl, if it was winning a pac championship, if it was, you know, going to the Cotton Bowl, whatever the case is, um, there was a lot of great moments, both up and down.
4: That you brought it up, so I'll, I'll follow up. <laughs> that that famous Sunday practice where uh, Coach didn't make it to practice. Did they tell you right away, Coach isn't here? Uh, we're so, looking for Coach. Dan.
3: <laughs> so I, um, so I, yeah, we actually. We're in a – so that Sunday I wanted – as a freshman, and I wanted to go and just kind of try to uplift the team as much as I could, you know, and and you know, maybe it was just, I guess, uh, a silly freshman doing it. I don't know. But I asked uh, Jared Blank at the time, who was kind of Coach uh, Stark's right-hand man, um, if I could, you know, ask Coach if I could get up and talk to the team during that team meeting, and I went in there to ask Coach if I could – and, I, you know, you could kind of tell he was feeling a little bit. And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is the best thing, you know, whatever, which made me really kind of sad because I remember on that salute to Troy my freshman year, coach had come up to me and he talked to me for like 45 minutes at that thing. Um, and I could tell he's feeling it. And like I was I almost went up to. Pat Hayden was like, hey, like, I don't know if coach is, like, okay or not. But I'm like, I, oh, no. like I, I'm like I'm a freshman. I didn't even join the team yet. Like, I feel like that would just be way out of bounds. Um, so, again, I was, like, kind of like, I don't know if I should tell someone. And then, sure enough, we come into the team meeting. And, unfortunately, that was the case. But, I mean, you know, Sark wasn't was, was – he really was a, um, a good coach. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, say anything bad about him in the sense that right. pe- people do fall to – that that disease and it's, it, it is a sad he was going through a hard time with his family i know and so unfortunately that was the case but it was it made it made definitely now talking four years later it did make for some good uh memories and good comedy that's for sure so
2: um now that we opened pandora's box i think i'm going to close it again um what was your um this is probably a dumb question but when you were around the p carroll era did you ever expect to come back and, and play on the team and inspire no, as many people no you did?
3: i didn't i i really didn't i Knew, obviously, I, I've always wanted to come to USC. I think I had USC as my college, um, like on my Facebook even from eighth grade. <laughs> <on>. So, <laughs> so I, uh, I definitely wanted to come to USC, and I knew, obviously, just the relationships I made during that Pete Carroll era with the football program that I would be part of the program, at least in some regard, and I, I didn't really know what that would look like, but I just obviously had a lot of relationships there still. And um, to, again, have Coach Shark, kind of tell me as uh, I was up there my senior year of high school visiting the, the team um, as a recruit since I played you know high school football and tell me that, you know hey you're on coming here right and I said yes and he goes well would you, would you have any interest in, in snapping for us on the team and, and that was kind of like oh my gosh I didn't even know like that was a possibility you know I, I knew I could snap I just like again didn't really think that was a possibility for some reason and so he put that in my head and I was like I, this is, has to happen now so um, it was it was a great blessing and I'm, I'll be forever grateful for you know again Sarkin and Pat Hayden and all those guys who J.K. McKay who uh, you know had that idea and let, let me come on and, and play for the Trojans.
4: How valuable was it that as a young you know young kid you got to go to USC practices you got to see you know the field and what it looked like and, you know, to go through it then later when you couldn't, how much did it help you to know this is what it looks like, this is what it feels like, this is what you're part of?
3: Well, I think it was, in hindsight, it's more special than I even imagined it when I was there with them, you know, during that time. I mean, obviously I was going through a really dark time in the sense I was 12 losing my sight and realizing the magnitude of that reality. And so, being with coach being with the players made it made the world a difference for me. I mean it was where I found peace. It was just a very happy happy moment and happy place in my life again in a in a reality that I was very kind of dark and grim. And so to then look back on it 6 years, you know, later and say, well, walking down the Trojan walk holding coach Carroll's hand, being in that bus, being in the team hotel, being in the locker room I mean, I would, have, I would have never known what that would have looked like if, you know, I never really was um, there with that team when I was 12. So just kind of having that, those memories in my head, I mean, every time I walked on the field down the steps and went in the locker room, I, I knew what that looked like. And, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if it makes the world difference if I didn't know what it looked like. I'm just saying it just was, it, it makes it that much more special and it makes it just what Coach Carroll did that much um, more of a, a again, a, a significant part of my life.
2: Who were your favorite USC players growing up?
3: Again, well, I know I don't know if KO is still here, but when I came to SC when I was twelve it was Chris O'Dowd. Um, and Woo. there you go, I don't
0: know. he's in the back.
3: There you go. <laughs> I remember um, so Chris Chris was a, a uh, junior at the time and I come to practice, it was they just had finished beating Cal and so it was I don't know, it was October seventh, I don't know, that's like four or five games in the season. And The Coach Carroll gets up there and says, we have a special guest. He must have obviously told them I was coming. So he goes, you know, we have Jake here. And the whole team starts chanting my name as I walk down to the front of the room. And then he goes, you know, Jake has a favorite player on the team, and they're, you know, of course they're thinking maybe it's Barkley, maybe it's, you know, Ronald Johnson or something. And they go, and it's Chris O'Dowd, and the whole, the whole team goes, who? <laughs> like, who? Wow. Who? I don't, like. <laughs> He's moved up to the front row now. Yeah, so Chris, just like that, comes running up, all, you know, jolly. And he picks me up, and he brings me back and makes me sit by him for the rest of the special teams meeting. And so that was, uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh.
1: <laughs> so it's funny, we actually have Chris O'Dowd here in the audience, so we thought we'd bring him up here and like, you know, this is sort of like, a, and it, I thought Jake like told Chris like, hey, we're going to have this event and like Chris just RSVP'd like com- kind of randomly. So I was like, oh, this, I should have surprised you. I didn't should have told you guys that uh, he was coming. <laughs> but Chris, we got to get you up on the golden microphone. So.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Chris. I, 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 have I am t- on the golden microphone. I have tabs on Chris.
1: I know where he is. And, uh <laughs> What was that like? He feels
4: my presence. <laughs>
2: I want to like? grab him and have him sit by me over
5: here once again.
2: What was that like for you when he said that you were his favorite player?
5: Oh, man. I mean, I don't know if anyone's been throughout USC, but, you know, that uh, that wall where they have the ESPN front cover Trojans, like, that was my moment. That's what I felt. <laughs> I thought it was a joke, and I'm looking around, I'm like, me? <laughs> but I'm going to take it where it comes because not a lot of people uh, – Really had some big uglies as fans, but uh, I'm happy he chose me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Knowing Jake when you did then, is it was it uh, probably not surprising to see what he's aspired to now? Yeah,
5: not at all. I mean, just uh, the way that he carried himself as a young man and the way that he looked at life. Um, I mean, it's, it's funny he says that were his dark days, but those were in mine as well. Uh, he was a huge learning lesson for me in life and dealing with my injuries and just put it in perspective with how minute that really was. Um, And it helped me grow from it. And, you know, it's just one of those things where in life you meet a certain amount of people and you connect. And, um, you know, I I, I had the privilege of, of meeting Jake Olson. And so I'm very grateful for that.
4: As a former college player, can you put into perspective what it is that he accomplished? The fact that he could do what he did. Oh, I mean,
5: I you know, I look, I look right and I trip on something. So to be honest, (laughs) I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, I, it takes, I take a step back, but I also look at the accomplishments and what he has going for him in the future. Um, The fact that he was able to snap a ball, I feel, is that is that that's the smallest. Um, accomplishment that he's been able to do because he's about to just you know take over this world and and show everybody his grace and his presence and, and what kind of person Jake Olson is
3: i never was nervous out there knowing that uh, i had that magic of the 61 jersey on me so you know i I, uh, oh yeah,
5: <laughs> I know when i saw it in the jersey store i was like okay i've made it <laughs>
2: that's great that's great jane do you have any other other questions
5: no no yeah fight on everybody thank you all right chris
4: i guess one more one more question what does your summer look like what does your schedule and you know where are you going and where could we look look to see you
3: well as i again i you know june i'm traveling to five different cities um july i'll be traveling to three august and i'm still filling up it looks like at least three now and so um you know definitely definitely traveling i know one of the things that we tried to fix is that just from, I guess, getting my name out there was people trying to find a way to reach me, try to get in contact with me try to, you know, have me come speak, you know, to whatever they were trying to put on. And, there was, there really wasn't a way, uh, a clear avenue where people would do that. So that's one of the reasons why I created my business. So, I mean, you can go on my social media, um, profiles and I have the link there. It's, it's just let's engage, but you can go to let's as well. And that's where you can find me. And, um, you kind of see, see what I'm up to. And also, again, you know, I know that, um, a lot of Ryan kind of obviously talked at my golf game and, you <laughs> know, um uh, I just had a good day with him, I guess. No, um, but you know, why one of the cool things with engage as well as I, all of our talent offers, customizable experiences. So I, I actually do have, you know, like a golf experience listed. So, you know, if you want to book me to go play around a golf with you and your buddies, I would love to do that as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of cool things you can do. So, um, you know, letsengage.com is, is where kind of you can find me and contact me.
4: Is there, since you've, uh, you know, your football career has finished and now you're in your, you know, the next career, is there one thing that's happened there that you're really excited about or proud of? Or like, was there one moment in your, you know, since you've, uh, you know, finished up with football?
3: Well, I mean, you know, I don't know if it's, it's included in football, I guess, but I mean, you know, working for the pro day and raising money, I mean, that was just a very touchy subject in my, in my mind, just cause again, it was, it was the cancer that landed me in that position. I mean, if, you know, I never had written a blast so for, I never had cancer. I don't know if I'd ever played at USC or been able to raise money for that, again, that cancer. So to be kind of to... Say okay, cancer. You took my eyesight, but now you've you you know I, I'm also in this position now because of you that I'm get to come back and now beat you. I mean that was something that was really really cool. Um, so that, that was really proud. And then also, you know, just my business as well. I mean that's um honestly I think anyone who who owns a business or has created a business in, in in this room can understand just the the difficulties that come in that. And so um to be doing that while going to school was just very difficult. There was a lot of hard times. Um, but you know we, we've we I think we've got something going, and I I know we're going to be serve as more proud moments to come with, with our business, but I mean, that that's just something you know, graduating with a business degree kind of putting what we learned on paper actually and learning even more than I could even imagine we learned in class through the process it just is absolutely amazing that's really, uh, um, just like football or golf, I mean, you, you see where hard work pays off
2: Yeah. Well, I think I see for all Trojan fans, Jake, when we say we wish you the best and, and hope to see you success have more success going forward
3: Thank you guys, by the Thank you
4: Great, Jake
2: Oh, wait, hold on. We, we have
6: actually fan questions. Sorry about that. Yeah. Well, this isn't really a question. Um, I spoke with Ryan, permission to, to talk about this. I do the defensive stats for USC and for the Rams. And to embarrass Jake, there is no cheering allowed in the press box. Just not allowed. However, participation on who plays in the game is part of what a stats team does. And I can tell you the first time that Jake Olson appeared in a game, the entire press box stood up, cheered, and applauded. And he's a
2: testament to what USC football represents. All right, uh, Ryan, what do you... Okay, Brief pause while we... will do
1: Thank you guys. Thanks, Jake Olson, for coming up here, and Chris O'Dowd, who didn't really want to come up, but it was great. Uh, Jay, here, your mom's coming over here. Uh, Chris Trevino, we wanted to have him. She's coming right over here. Sorry.
2: Did
1: Chris escape? Chris is escaping. So Chris Chris. is. Chris does an amazing job for us at twenty four seven sports. Get up here.
2: Where is he? Yeah,
1: he's just not the most. He he doesn't really like speaking in front of a bunch of people and stuff all the time. But he's great information guy. Was breaking all the Brew McCoy stuff and everything. So what we're going to finish off now, and then we'll just kind of, like, hang out. We just want to do, like, a panel. If you guys have any questions about what was going on with USC spring football, um, anything about the team. Really, like, I think we've talked about earlier, it's things in January were not looking very good. And after the five and seven season stuff. But to be fair, like, a lot of things have got really a lot better uh, going going forward. So I think the, the coaching staff changes have been a lot better. Um, watching spring football and seeing uh, a really well-run offense, this team's probably going to score 10, 13 more points a game than they did last year. There's a lot of offensive talent coming back. So if you guys have any questions on USC spring football, we'd love to – you know, you can come, come up here and answer it. Dan, 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 Dan maybe has a, has a question. question.
4: Okay. Uh, a couple of updates. I know there's a lot of talk and – we've done the talking about Reggie Bush and you know his – affiliation with the Fox uh, College, Saturday College, Game Day Crew, and all of that, and his banishment from USC. And I think most people assume that the NCAA banned Reggie Bush. It's not correct. USC banned Reggie Bush. The, The NCAA followed up in the penalties by saying... USC better keep him banned, or we'll give USC a show-cause penalty. Now, as a result of the Todd McNair case, show-cause penalties are illegal in California. So where does this leave us? I don't think we know right now, but it certainly looks like some of those early games uh, would be candidates for the you know, the Fox crew to be doing them with Matt Leinart and Urban Meyer. I mean, the storylines are endless, and Reggie Bush, obviously. Uh, so, so that's one update. I don't know, does USC have to go to the NCAA and say we're not going to banish him from any games that Fox wants to do? I don't know. But uh, the second one, I think Bruce Feldman made the good point about the money difference. I think we found out yesterday something we did not know. The Pac-12 is basically distributing about $31.3 million per school. Yesterday it was revealed that the Big 12 has gone to, for this year, more than $40 million per school. And you're talking about schools that are in places like Lawrence, Kansas and Lubbock, Texas and Ames, Iowa and Manhattan, Kansas. and on top of that, Bruce was correct, those schools like Texas and Oklahoma and West Virginia keep all of their local rights so that for uh, Texas be another 15 million dollars a year for uh, an Oklahoma probably 10 million for West Virginia and Iowa state, seven or eight million so Now, they're also, the Big 12 is going to be almost $20 million a year per school more than the Pac-12. You almost get to the point where do USC and UCLA have to say, we just can't get there from here. Uh, It's going to be interesting. And for USC fans, they may have to suck it up a little bit and say, maybe USC and UCLA have to go together and just say, what would the Pac-12 be without Los Angeles, without Southern California? Because we keep hearing from the Pac-12, or from USC, that, yeah, we'd like to tell the Pac-12 that we don't want the nine-game schedules, because that means five road games in the Pac-12 every other year. But they just aren't listening to us. Well, there might be a way where you tell them that, They won't be playing in L.A. at all if, uh, you know, if you don't want to go to an eight-game scout. I mean, it's just, and the, the thing that keeps coming up, and I thought Bruce brought them up really correctly, about coming up with the answers, and I'm going to say this a million times, you can't come up with the answers if you don't even know what the questions are. And the problem at USC is I don't think they know what the questions are what the possibilities are. It's really difficult to come up with the right answers. But now that the Big 12 has gone where it's gone, that's putting a whole different kind of uh, financial pressure, I think, on the Pac-12. I mean, that, they did, until last year, they didn't even have a championship game in the Big 12. They don't have a network. And they just rocketed past USC. Uh, Something's got to change, yeah. or pass the Pac-12. Something's got to change. The
1: big limitation there is that third-party rights, where the Pac-12, not only do schools don't have it, but a lot of, they had to like
4: buy oh, them out. Yeah. So
1: it was really so for the Big Twelve to still have those rights, it's really just it's it's a, a have and have-nots right now. And I, you know, you talk to some people who are like, eh, it doesn't really matter that much. But when you're talking about hiring assistant coaches and and things like that, I think it's really going to be a big deal. So that's why I asked Bruce about. Hey, is there a possibility that like USC UCLA could try to leave or could USC try to go independent? Just the threat of that, I think, would put USC in a better light. Just right now, USC just kind of gone along with the program. Yeah, we're the same as Oregon State. They're like that doesn't make any freaking sense to me. So but wow. that's a, That's essentially what it is right now. Well, no, no, we have no. a question. Yeah, come on up here. Um, we gotta up to mic. we got to come up to the microphone. We got the
2: golden mic.
1: That, yeah. 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 I want to well, give a shout out to uh, Alex Parsons in the back back there. Is he still here? Is that, yeah it's so okay do so you guys remember so you know we talk about chris o'dowd he got all that the credit and everything from jake olson but alex who was the right guard during that time he's just got you know he's lost like 75 pounds or something back there so thank, is it about that shout out to alex thanks alex for coming out yeah
2: okay question on the golden mic
1: Yes. Well, I guess there's
7: two questions now. we got to give your name and everything for us. Uh, Chase McWhorter. So I, yes. played, I, played, I played with oh, Alex yeah. Chase played at USC yeah. also. Yeah. Was like, walk on, walk on. I didn't play. <laughs> this one when we were good, so I didn't play. Uh, first. has got question, a big ring, though. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. First question on the Pac-12 thing. Don't you have to have some sort of bargaining power to threaten to go independent?
4: Well, I think the bargaining power... If you're five and seven, you can't really bargain. I think the bargaining power... Yeah, obviously, USC's got to become USC. But the bargaining power is Los Angeles. And if you... You know, the schools, for example, say, we're going to keep the nine-game schedule because we want to be playing an L.A. school and playing in L.A. for our recruiting every year. And the L.A. schools have one thing to say is, maybe you won't be, okay? So... I think the Big 12 would take USC and UCLA in a heartbeat. Yeah, they're only 10 teams, so they would take USC and UCLA just like that. Oh, so it's them going, not going independent. It would be uh, the other option is to go the Notre Dame route and to try to work out, let's say, a deal like Notre Dame has with NBC. Notre Dame uh, has a deal with the ACC, so all their other sports and half their football is with the Atlantic Coast Conference. And then they have their Notre Dame uh, NBC deal. So they get paid half of the ACC's deal, and they get paid all of their uh, NBC deal. And so they've got the ability to half of their schedule, they can set it up to go wherever they want, whoever they want to play. They agree to play half of a conference schedule. I think that might be the model for USC, where you would say, we'll stay in the Pac-12 for all our other sports. And we'll, we'll cut a, we'll, and we'll give them a half a schedule, but we'll, we'll control the rest of it and we'll cut a deal with somebody like an NBC or a Fox or whatever. I mean, it, it seems to make sense. NBC's done really well with Notre Dame, but they only get the home games. Uh, so I would think NBC would maybe be, like to have another team or they could play an early game and a late game. I think it would make a lot of sense. I just think USC has to explore all those possibilities, but they absolutely have to become USC again. I mean, yeah, without a doubt.
7: And then the second question. So this would be, like, to the audience, too, with Brew McCoy. Sure. So does anybody here find it a little disturbing how much we pander to (laughs) athletes that this kid left based on what we can assume is a coach leaving, and then he comes back? Wouldn't you think, as if the big issue is culture, I mean, that's been the, Lynn Swan referenced it, discipline, all that. If you're talking about culture, and a kid comes there, signs the contract, everything, leaves, and then wants to come back, because he's homesick, I mean I was homesick when I was 10, when I moved to Chicago, not 18 years old, some spice. so does anybody else think that, maybe at the very least have him come back as a walk-on. You got Jake Olson here as a walk-on. I was a walk-on. Clay Matthews was a walk-on. Troy Polamalu. But you let this kid come back. I mean, that if you're trying to change the culture, I think well, you've taken a step backwards with that one. I think, interesting,
1: Chase. I All think, right. I think
4: Brew left because of the culture. I think he, he was there because of his buddies and because of the, you know, USC was always the school he was going to. I think he got there and he saw the dysfunction and within a couple of weeks, and he wasn't wrong. There was a lot of dysfunction going on, and he said, hey, I'd like to have a chance to maybe win a national championship. We just won one at Modern Day, and that's kind of, so he went there. I think what his returning isn't so, uh, you know, you hear the homesickness. I don't think he'd be coming back if he didn't think USC's got a chance to be pretty good, and that's his buddies telling the same guys who were saying, I don't know what's going on here. We don't have to show up for weightlifting if we don't want. I don't know who's in charge and what offense are we going to run. I don't know. All of that was going on. And so I can almost respect him for saying, I'm out of here. I'm going to go somewhere where at least they all know what the hell they're all doing. And then I think it's a a commentary on on what's going on at USC that his buddies are telling him, we're going to be pretty good. And I do think they're looking at, to be honest, and you say, this is crazy. They're looking at what happens in that 2020 season where USC opens against Alabama in Texas, which will be interesting. Brew McCoy's first college football game could well be in the state of Texas at Arlington Stadium <laughs> against Alabama. And they're thinking with Brew and Kyle Ford and Amon Ra and... Uh, JT Daniels in his third year, I know that's what they're thinking, that we can get the gang, you know, kind of get, get them back together again and we're moving in the right direction. I think it's a big uh, uh, vote of confidence for Graham Harrell and what Graham Harrell brought in the spring. I mean, they didn't look anything – I mean, they were better every day in the spring than they were in almost every game in the fall. They, things have changed that much. So yeah. But I'm willing to go with him. I think he wants to be good, and he wanted USC to be good. And that's, I think, what it's saying more than the The homesickness is kind of what they're saying, because I don't think they want to say, we don't like Texas or whatever. They're just they're letting that stand. But, uh, but I think it's more of, okay, look, USC looks like it's got a chance to be USC. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Chase, for coming out. Thanks, appreciate it. thanks for coming. Thanks. I didn't know Yeah, You know, you can play football at USC, walk on whatever. Like, you've gone through the practices, the meetings, all that kind of stuff. It's awesome when guys come out, the former players. We love that because they've gone through things that all of us have not gone through. We see them in practices and everything, but it's very cool. So thanks, Chase, for coming out there. Can Keely, what do you got going on?
2: Oh, I was going to say, can we just bring up Gerard? He can switch with me. I want to kind of hear the differences because I've done incident analysis with both these two. And right. they have different opinions on how spring went. So, can we get a little bit of a... Of oh, you a, want
1: Gerard up here? Yeah, I think we should right, have we'll Gerard, get Gerard come up, here. up here. Gerard came all the way from Chino Hills. Who, who came the furthest? Did anyone come farther than Chino Hills? Where's that? USC, that's not farther than Chino Hills, Nick. Nick, what? where are you guys coming? Covina, is that further? No. Corona? Corona is. Is Corona, is. Corona further than Chino Hills? I don't know. It's Inland Corona. Empire, I just don't know. I'm just not... I'm, I'm not familiar with these things.
0: Yeah, Rancho is... Uh, where?
1: Monterey? No, I don't know where that is. That's there? Way the hell up there. Uh, Menifee? Yeah. Wow.
4: Menifee's huh? probably oh, the farthest. I'm hardest. screaming. Menifee's father.
1: Sorry. Well, Menifee he wins. Uh, Sir Eric of Troy. he doesn't count. Like He came, actually, he came in the studio. All right, well, we got Gerard up here now. So if anybody has any questions, we'd love to... If you, Even if you weren't a former player at USC, you can come up and ask a question. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> if you weren't a former player... <laughs> But half the room is former players. This is great. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm, I'm stealing some more time, uh, and I'll be really quick. First of all, I watched many of the spring practices, and they looked great. I thought a lot of energy around the team. A lot better. But the, t- the question I have is, I was a little bit surprised when we got to Texas last year, and I went in there serving beer in the stadium. And I read yesterday, the day before, that the SEC has now started to allow alcohol in the stadiums. And I wonder what the thought process is about the Pac-12 allowing alcohol in the stadiums. Interesting.
1: So when did that stop? That stopped like yeah. 2007 or 8 or something, I think? It's been a while, more than 10 years.
4: And I know, like at the Coliseum, there was a... In a lot of places where they maybe play NFL games or used to play NFL games or were going to, again, I think they wanted to differentiate between how the crowds were and how things were handled with the crowds and all that. I know uh, in the SEC, at least four schools are saying they're not going to do it. Uh, I know there are some liability issues with students and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't I don't know if there's a big groundswell, you know, to do it at USC games or not. But uh, I don't even, I doubt even the Pac-12 is yeah. contemplating it. That would be... One of those questions that, you know, they'll let the SEC talk about it, but the Pac-12 probably not going to do anything. I, I
1: think there have been studies where they show, like, when you allow alcohol sales, there's actually less incidence than when you don't. But, I don't know, it's hard to it's hard to say. But that was something. I think USC sort of wanted to do it for a while, and they did it during Pete Carroll when everyone was winning, so it didn't matter as much. And now, But everybody's seeing a drop in attendance. I think one of the main reasons the SEC is looking at it is because – it's way easier to stay home and watch on your couch with your HDTV and in your bathroom right there. If you allow alcohol sales, beer sales, or whatever, I think it does make it. But I haven't heard anything specifically. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the big yeah revenue too the revenue group that they're trying to address, they're they're trying to get the students there. And the problem is, if you're getting the students there with beer sales, yeah, that's probably know, not the reason. You got you some that. issues. So, but I think that's one of the things the SEC's been trying to uh, address is how do we get our students to keep coming to
1: games? Yeah. Yeah, no, there, yes. there, there's arguments where like if you can't buy beer at the game, you get really, really drunk before you go to the game. So And they try to sneak beers and stuff. So that, I think that's why some of the studies are... I'm not advocating that or not. Like We have little kids cheering that. I don't want that. <laughs> but that's not, I'm not... Yes.
4: <laughs> What's I, your name, sir? I You're father I, of the I year. I will say this. I, <laughs> I covered a uh, Florida State-Miami game, an evening game once, and literally... There were, they would confiscate the alcohol at the gate, and the the bottles were literally above your head for an evening game because they were taken away from every kid that was going going into the stadium. So, uh, you know, so especially for night games, I think that could be a problem if yeah. you hit all day and then you go, yeah. You know, so
1: I remember being overserved in the Coliseum a few times, you know, and. Uh I think one time it was a Notre Dame game, like in the rain, and they ran out of beer. So I was with some buddies, and we bought a bottle of wine. They poured in like a plastic kind of container, like I don't know, it was like a little like milk jug, and we were drinking wine. It was pretty good back in the day, but you can't do that anymore. So I don't know. Now I work, so I can't do that stuff. But back, that was when it was fun. All right, Gerard, we, we got you up here since you know Keely. Yeah, Keely kind of. Uh... She bowed out. No, ke- thanks Keeley, for doing all the hosting duties and stuff. You're amazing. Like, me. Keely's great. Keely's a great job. Yeah. And everybody, for, and thank for, thank all of you guys cuz this is cool. Uh, you know, MD3 came up to me like, "Hey, we should do an event. We've done some different events." And it was sort of like, "Oh, uh, you know, I don't know, June like team with 5 and 7. I don't know if people really come out." So this is great that people were come out. We got former players, just fun it was, it was a fun group and uh I'm, gra- I'm glad we could like record a podcast like this. This is fun. We've never done anything like this before, so it's pretty unique. And I think we have a question. So like, stay your name. Thank you. Great segue. Steve yeah. Maxinoff, Steve
0: Maxinoff,
1: Turn
6: class him seven, up. Class of oh, sorry. Go ahead. Steve Maxinoff, class of '77. Um, question for Gerard Martinez. Yes. Um, you know, SC has a long tradition of recruiting four and five stars, but Clay Helton has really not been pulling that in. He, he seems to be content with two and three stars. And is that going to affect the? Do you think the uh, the ability,
0: the quality of our teams. Thanks for the question. It probably will. Uh, USC is obviously in an interesting spot because they brought in an offense which traditionally has not necessarily depended on four five-star type talent. Uh, this is an offense that has been, you know, sort of developed over the years, Texas Tech, Washington State. They're not running that exact type of offense. It's not the Washington State air raid offense. Um, They do run the ball a little more. They're doing a lot of 11 personnel. They do use the tight end, although he's split wide in the Y. Um, So it is, uh, I I think, uh, offensively, just speaking with that specifically, the focusing on just offense, you can't go after certain kinds of players, players that fit the system more than necessarily are just great athletes from a profile standpoint that you could plug in anywhere and say, that guy is just overly talented. He's a great athlete. He's going to be a five star anywhere. So, I think there is a little more leeway. I think we're seeing it at the running back position right now in terms of the recruiting. USC's behind on a lot of the featured backs. They're, they're really on the outside looking in for a lot of the guys that are the four or five star guys that are sort of those national guys that you plug in in any offense. And that guy's six foot, 220 pounds, and he's going to be a horse. And he's going to be the feature back for that offense. They're looking more at guys that are utility type players. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, really, with more of fall camp. Because uh, I think spring ball, that's the one thing we didn't see. I, I, I don't think they looked bad offensively. I don't want to, you know, I'm totally, you know, Dan and, and I at our odds with this opinion. I just think that in terms of the offensive line and the running game, those are two big question marks still. Uh, Clay Helton kind of talked a little bit in that last practice about how great the offensive line was. And I was thinking to myself, what offensive of line were you watching? Because I watched you guys on, on, in goal line, and it took you seven downs to get into the, to, to the end zone. We're not really sure what the running back position is going to offer in this type of offense. It's going to be out of the shotgun. They've continued to do that. That's something that they've done for a long time. The problem is when you're running out of the shotgun, and I know you guys have listened to the podcast, you've heard me say this before, if you do not have the quarterback as a running option, that mesh read is only taking more time. It's just a delay between you handing the ball off or not handing the ball off. If the quarterback is not a, a, a threat to run the football, that defensive line in that front seven, they're just going to pin their ears back and they're going to go right in the offensive backfield and they're probably going to go after the running back. So That's something that we're going to have to see with this type of offense when they do the play action. How much is getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly? How much is it first read? And it's not necessarily progression because that's what this offense has been about. It's about using space. And it's not necessarily about its receivers being four-star, five-star guys, being able to just beat people because they're just better. This is about trying to cut the field up in little segments and being able to use that space. And in that case, you want route runners. You want guys that are smart and can catch the ball. That's the three things that you need first. So we've seen that in recruiting some guys that are slot guys that are not necessarily maybe the most athletic guys, but guys that can be good players. Whether the running back position sort of follows and you're getting guys that are more all-purpose backs that catch the ball well, but they're not necessarily those you know Stephen Carr types,
4: we're going to see if that works. Yeah. I think one of the things that we're going to see is, and I don't think the coaches know, because nobody's tried to run this offense with the level of athletes right. that USC yeah. has. So I don't think we know... Where do, I mean, nobody's tried to run this offense with, you know, Stephen Carr and Vavai Malapai. And now that we see Marquis Step, I will say this. The first thing that Mike Jinks did, uh, the new running backs coach, was go to San Diego and say, yeah. we have to have Keenan Christen. He's like the third, second or third fastest track kid in the country and the second fastest in California history and faster than Reggie Bush. What's that going to be like, getting him the ball quick and turn it? I don't think we know, and I don't think they know. I think they're like, "Wow, this is going to be interesting." Yeah As far as the offensive line is concerned, this is what Tim Drevno said, and you've got to consider he coached Stanford with uh, Jim Harbaugh, went to you know coached the 49ers with Harbaugh, and, and coached Michigan with Harbaugh, who says this is the most talented offensive line he's ever coached. Now, they're not there yet, but he said in terms of offensive potential, he said he really, really likes what he might be able to get. Again, we're going to have to see how that plays out. Because, I mean, mean, we both came away kind of thinking,
0: you know, with the running game on the offensive line, I mean, do you you feel confident in that yet? I, I, I didn't watch any practices or scrimmages where I felt like, all the offensive line seems to really be coming together. I didn't. I didn't come away feeling the that offensive way.
1: line pretty much for the whole spring. They kind of had the same five guys starting. We we thought there'd be more depth and more rotation. There wasn't as much. Uh, you know, we'll see. But we, I don't think I don't think that was showcased in the spring football. But they did showcase the passing game, which w- that's what we saw most of.
4: Well, and I think as much as they ran, tried to run offense game conditions and all that, I don't know that you have the ability to completely set up the run with the pass the way they're gonna be able to do when they get to real games. Cause you're gonna have to chase I mean they've got those guys running those horizontal routes and they're going like crazy. And if you're a you know a defense, you have to account for those first five pass receivers before you account for anything. And what that means for these running backs, I don't think we know. I think we know if you look at okay, the centers, you got two guys that were either number one or number two in the nation in back-to-back years in Nealon and Dedich. Okay, not bad. Uh, Nealon now is 300 pounds, and he's been working so hard to get there. The four guys that were kind of the basic starters on this uh, uh, to either side basically are 6'5 and a half at about 310 to 315 pounds. They're almost exactly the frame you would want, and they're pretty athletic. Now, you know, they've had a couple of tough years where they really didn't get a lot better. Uh, where does that leave them? And then they've got this, you know, Drew Richmond coming in from Tennessee. who's what, 6'6", 320, and a three-year starter in the Southeastern Conference. And you've got Clayton Bradley. You know, if his back issues clear up, which they think they will, is another 6'6 kid with a big frame uh, that they think they'll have some people pushing those guys. So, but I think You know, that is the question, and I don't think we have the answer. I just think, you know, they have the potential uh, to solve some of those issues. Thank you.
6: I hope they they do. Thank you. I hope they do, because last year we saw that the pass protection wasn't really that great, and JT McDaniels is not a scrambling quarterback like we've had in the past who could buy us time. We have excellent receivers, uh, but we need, you know, to see better pass protection with this statue of a quarterback.
0: I think they're, cool. they're they're sort of tied. Thanks they're for the just, question. Thank yeah, you. thank you. Uh, Actually, you, you can run the ball; it's going to keep that front seven, you know, still. If if you can't run the ball, then they know that you are one dimensional, and they're going to blitz the heck out of you, and you are not going to get much patch protection, in anyways. You
4: know, I think you know uh, Graham is committed to running the ball. I don't think there is a you know situation where he's not he's not uh, you know Mike Leach. He's going to yeah. run the ball.
1: That's a, and, that's a weird thing. It's like if you look at North Texas last year, they passed at fifty two percent. 52% of the time, ran it 48% of the time. Right. So it's not 70-30 like Mike Leach. So it's 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 air raid-like, but it's not just pass the ball every time. Yeah, we didn't see a lot. There
0: wasn't actually a lot of five receiver sets in spring ball. Yeah, It was really more three no. receivers, and they did use the tight end, but they are running the ball out of the shotgun. And, again, that's always the kind of question that I have. And going back to Drevno, you know, it's it's the offensive lines that he's coached have all been sort of power running games, and this is the first time he's had these wide splits and they're playing, you know, in that sort of uh, that spread offense type.
1: Yes, another live question. What's your name, sir?
6: Uh, my name's Randy Ziskin, uh, class of 82, and uh, the gentleman from Monterey uh, County and I went to SC together. so Re-
1: All the way from Monterey. Uh, Thanks, yeah. Randy, for coming out. Yeah. Been...
6: Well, I go up there for the Cal and Stanford
0: game every year. So oh, nice. Have a Any relation to Eric Ziskin?
6: He looks a lot like several people in my family. But I don't. I don't know. I don't know if we relate. I've never heard of him till I until he started working in. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, I don't want to dwell too much on the past, and I love your show and uh, you. everything like that. But I gotta bring up something you said. Oh, back in January. Oh, yes. yes. What did I yes. say? Yes.
1: Son of a. Bitch. Well. Did I say Alex? After after good? after uh, <laughs> Coach. Uh,
6: Kingsbury bolted and went to the Cardinals. Uh, You said you didn't blame him for taking that offer. I disagree with you. I think when somebody makes a promise, they need to keep it, especially after 19 high school athletes have signed letters of intent to come to the university, at least in part because they think he's going to be their offensive coordinator. So I don't think that's okay for somebody to do that. I don't think it's okay to just – cut out like that. If he was going to do that, he shouldn't have come to SC in the first place.
1: All right. My right. Thanks, Randy, for calling it, me out. What no. I'll tell
4: you is I don't think he thought there was any more chance of that happening than any of us did. Yeah. I mean, if you'd have said, well, what if you get offered an NFL head coaching job? He'd have probably said, what are you talking about? Nobody's going to offer me an NFL ho- coach, you know, head coaching job. So I, I think it was such a, a, a bolt out of the blue. I mean, it's why USC had such a small buyout because it was like nobody thought that was even possible and I'll be honest with you I think USC uh, moved up in terms of their offensive coordinator because I think Graham is a perfect guy for that slot whereas Kingsbury would have been kind of well who's in charge here who's really the head coach who's and he would have been on his way for sure. It's a
6: good point. You're off the, you're off the hook because of that, because we got Graham. So. No, hey.
1: <laughs> no, Graham helped. But there, like, in this kind of day and age, there, I mean, we're, we're talking about Brew McCoy, who's like switched schools twice before even his classmates have graduated from high school yet. Well, you're talking about getting an NFL head coaching job. There's 32 of those in the freaking world. And he was fired at Texas Tech, who is like a middle-of-the-road Big 12 program. And an NFL program says we want you to be our head coach. I don't think there's anyone that's going to say no to that. I know it sucks, but that's like that's the kind of situation you're in right now. So if I won't blame him for offering the opportunity. People say Clay Helton should have been the head coach. If someone said, "Hey, you want to be the head coach at USC and make two and a half million dollars a year," I'm like, "I'm in. I'm not, I'm not qualified, but I'll do it." <laughs> and like, is Cliff Kingsbury qualified to be an NFL head coach after getting fired at Texas Tech? Maybe not, but they gave him the job, so I have no problem with him moving on at that point.
6: And I don't have a problem with you not having a problem with it. I think you're a great guy. But as a parent, it it bothered me a little bit. But whatever. Keep up the good work.
1: Thanks Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for that. Oh, we got another one. Yes. Um, Quick question.
6: What's your name? I'm sorry.
1: Tom Bowman.
6: Tom. Thank you, Tom, for coming out.
0: Um uh, my question is, you know, after losing Odori basically we
1: haven't had a defensive backfield really and wondering who you're seeing and is anyone jumping jumping out and saying, Hey, this is this guy's really good. Yeah, defensive back so I mean for USC losing a lot of veterans from the defensive backfield this last year. You know, Iman Marshall, longtime starter, Marvel Tell, Janny Harris who came in, we, we watched him at Crenshaw High School, just pretty close to where we are right now, and he was a cornerback and a quarterback and just did kind of everything comes into summer workouts and he's playing receiver, which he hasn't done since the seventh grade. We've seen a lot of like good guys come through the secondary. It's going to be a pretty young secondary next year. Probably my favorite guy is Talanoa Hufunga. Um, We'll see, you know, him coming off a couple of uh, shoulder injuries and stuff. But uh, what do you guys think about the secondary? They've definitely lost some veteran leadership.
4: Well, I think Talanoa is, The closest thing to Troy Palomalo that we've seen in a a long time. You just got to hope that that collarbone holds up. But, uh, you know, he was – some people thought he was the number one athlete in high school two years ago. Uh, Just a great kid, much more mature beyond his years. Uh, Isaiah Palomalo, if he can also stay healthy, is a big, tough safety. Uh, Those guys, I think, are as talented as as you've seen at USC – You've got a couple of corners that are you know really inexperienced and wildly you know talented athletically and physically and Isaac Taylor Stewart and uh, Elijah Griffin. I don't think they were coached up much I think they were kind of coaching themselves a lot of a lot of the time the last couple of years. I really like uh, the return of Greg burns I think he's you know they're really being coached and they're being coached from play to play and Uh, having the officials there, actual Pac-12 officials who are calling the one-on-one stuff and a kid, you know, said, oh, no, I don't think that was a penalty, and the the official will walk over and say, look, this is how we're going to call it. If you do that, that's going to be a penalty. It's not, you know, in years past, they'd just be arguing, and the offensive guy would say it's interference. The defensive guy would say, no, it's not, and they're blah, 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 blah. That, that doesn't happen now. There, so you see that kind of learning taking place. Uh, I think they've got a chance. Uh, you know, there's so little experience, and there's a, a lot of high end athletic ability. How that works out? I, again, it's an interesting year. I, I just think there are a lot of things we don't have answers to. And that's uh, right. Yeah, defensive
0: backs. Outside of offensive line and running backs are going to be the biggest issue, Uh, the defensive secondary. They do have some talent there. There's not a lot of depth. They are bringing in uh, quite a few freshmen that are going to come in. I think Isaac Taylor Stewart's a guy that a lot of people are waiting to see. Can he be a guy? Can he develop? I think development is a key word, Dan. They've got to develop these guys. They've got base athleticism there in the defensive backfield, but they need to get some development. I think Imam Marshall really hurts them. He comes into USC five-star, sort of looked at as a generational player, and he leaves as a fourth-round pick. I think that's kind of an issue. I think that's sort of what a lot of kids are looking at when they talk about what school they want to go to. They're looking at Alabama. They're looking at Georgia. They're looking at LSU. USC's losing those players because those guys are going to those schools, and they're leaving as highly touted as they came in, and that's an issue if USC's not developing those guys. So defensive backfield, you circle it. I would say one guy that I'm looking forward to seeing uh, that's of the new class that hasn't hit campus yet is Dorian Hewitt. He's running a 10.35 in the 100 meters, six foot, 185. Played for North Shore Texas High School uh, in Houston, uh, one of the top high schools in the nation. So a guy that's played at a high level. Um, kind of interesting that you know, US or uh, Texas and uh, Texas A&M didn't really go after him very hard. Um, so it's going to be interesting if there's some something there that we don't see, but on film, that's a guy that's got a lot of talent, got a lot of athleticism. And, uh, and he was a guy that was calling defensive plays for one of the top high schools
1: in the nation. So uh, I look forward to seeing him. All right. One more. I think probably one more question. And we'll probably wrap it up, I think. This has been – we said been we'll talk a lot. What's your name, sir?
0: L.C. Eccles.
1: L.C. Eccles. Aud- wait, Aud- wait, Aud- wait. <laughs> look, What's the number sir- 31 significance for? Uh, that's my son, Hunter Eccles. Wait, your son is on the team? Okay. <laughs> um I- He's always thought he watches our Tunnel Vision show. He's always commenting. So, Elsie, thanks for coming out, sir. No problem.
0: I have a question for the gentleman with the class of 19. He said 77. He said that Clay Held is not getting uh, four or five star players. If I'm not mistaken, the 15, 16, 17, and 18 classes were all four or five stars, and they were top five
1: classes. No, you're right. No, yeah. So,
0: I don't understand this two or three star. He's getting the talent. It's just. Developing the talent is the problem.
1: Right. No, I think you're, I mean, you're 100% right as far as like this last class that we saw for 2019 was, since we started covering it, like the lowest rank, the most three stars we've ever kind of seen. But every, all the classes before that, that hasn't been the problem. USC always brings in those four and five star guys. I think that's what was a little strange though, because this last class, the one thing USC always did well didn't do as well. But you bring in a Brew McCoy. Maybe a Chris Steele. I don't know. Then you kind of like both, you know, boost that up a little bit. But you're you're right. I mean, to be fair, I wasn't going to say that, but we had a lot of comments. To be fair, most of Clayton's classes have been. The worst is top 10. This was like a number 20, which is like outside of the norm. Yeah.
4: Well, you know, going into last year, if you ranked recruiting for the previous four years, uh, you had Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia. And number four was USC. If you ranked the rosters, According to the how they were recruited, USC was number four in the nation. So they they've been recruiting.
1: Yeah, recruiting has not been the, the issue. Thank, thanks, Elsie. But it. Thank development for, has. Yes, as Elsie said, development has been a problem. And,
0: and development is is one Sorry. of those things that's come becoming a key word now with recruits that are coming out of high school. So right. that's it's one of those things that's cyclical and it, it sort of spirals downward.
1: We have a question. We love your shirt, sir. I like that. Is there it, you Yeah, it's a good site. Thank you. (laughs) Uh,
7: Hi, uh, Danny. Uh, My question is about Velas Jones and what's going on there. It seems like he's all about SC, and um, I haven't really saw anything on the board. So I'm just curious. It looks like he might come back. I think he would be great in this offense.
1: Yeah. So Vales Jones is in the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, You saw him before. I know Dan had some intel on him. Jordan talked about a little bit. I think
4: the players think he's maybe going to stay. I mean, I think one of the issues the. unintended consequences Mm -hmm. as we've talked about is there are a lot more guys that went into the transfer portal than there were scholarships available and a few schools maybe illinois saved a lot of their scholarships for transfers but a lot of schools didn't right i mean usc had far more guys enter the transfer portal than they had scholarships available so you know i don't think we know how how that's all going to work uh, I mean, it would be a shame. I think, you know, some of the places, like, if you're a VLS Jones and you think this place or this place, they're going to have a spot for me, they might not still have a spot for you. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I just think that's a very inexact science. And, I, uh, I was
0: told of yesterday, USC is trying to work it out. It's yeah. getting worked out. So there's potential for him to come back. But I think the bigger question, and this is going to take it into another direction, is, a guy that leaves, and then we kind of mentioned this beforehand. You bring him back into the locker room. Is everything really copacetic? I'm sure there are some that are guys on the team that are friends with him that would love to have him back. But as a whole, this is something that's going to cause some issues with some teams uh, yeah. with all these transfers. And so, I think
4: with Vilas, there was a legitimate family right, issue yeah. and a geographic issue and a relocation to the you know south and a little bit closer. Uh, one of the things you noticed in the spring is Vilas was there almost every day and the players really like him and respect him. And I don't know that they looked at him as kind of turning his back on, on USC. So he might be one of the exceptions. I don't, I don't think there are going to be many like that. I mean, the shame would be he didn't get spring practice with this new offense. Yeah. That's, Right. That's the unfortunate part of it.
1: All right, we got one more. I said we probably got to wrap it up. We'll we'll still hang out and stuff afterwards. But we got one last question, and we'll do that. Jt here, Hey,
0: thanks very much for doing this. This is a great time to come out come out here and uh, have a couple beers, hear some great players come out and speak. But the question I have is, is is the starting quarterback settled, or what do you guys think is going to happen on the quarterback?
1: Yeah. J, so Jt wants to know <laughs> if Jt who's the starting quarterback, Jt Daniels. Uh, I think we all think it's going to be JT Daniels, right? Okay,
4: some numbers from the spring. Uh, Past completions that they counted uh, that were defended. Uh, From what I understand, JT completed 76%. Keaton Slovis, 73%. I think Matt Fink was 67%. And I think Jack Sears was 63%. Think you can maybe draw your draw your own conclusions a little bit. Uh, Jack is very dynamic athlete and can do you know can do some things. But uh, I think people misread a little bit when uh, Graham Harrell went down the list of the four quarterbacks, and when he got to JT, he said, "Don't overthink and don't do this." Uh, with the other three, he kind of explained all their good qualities and why he liked them, and blah blah. With JT, he, he said, I don't want him to overthink. I want him to just go play. If you look at the way he handled those four, the one guy he was coaching up to be playing next year was JT. JT was the one he was coaching him. I think, I think this offense is made for JT. I mean, yeah. I just think he's a quick decider. He can make all the throws, uh, you know. It's going to be interesting. I I think Yogi Roth was on the uh, uh, John Wilner's Pac-12 podcast, and they asked him all about the quarterbacks in the Pac-12, and he went on and on, and there are a lot of pretty good quarterbacks this year and transfers and interesting stories. And he said he thought that the JT story was the most interesting story because of his skill set, because he can make all the throws, and coming from an offense that didn't know who it was and what it was trying to do and a lot of the stuff came down on JT uh, and to now see him in an offense that does know what it's trying to do and, and practices it every day at full speed. Uh, I think he's JT's a really interesting story but I think I'd be shocked if he's not the quarterback and that doesn't mean it's a, a phony competition or anything. I thought they did a wonderful job and giving all four guys equal opportunities. And one of the reasons they were able to do that is they run so much offense in practice. But, uh, but I'd be surprised if it goes any other way. Yeah. I mean, you've got a, a kid with 11 college starts. Why would you go away from that? It, it, it doesn't make, you know, experience in a quarterback who's got all the arm talent in the world. I don't, I don't see how you go away from that.
1: Yeah. And we, you know, we saw Jack Sears is a, a great athlete, but what we saw at USC Spring Football, at least what they were running for the offense, wasn't showcasing an athletic quarterback. It was about getting the ball out quick, throwing the ball to the right guy, and that, just we didn't see any kind of opportunities where quarterbacks were running the football. So maybe that'll change in fall camp, and that would be a more advantage for, for Jack Sears. But for what we saw in the spring... Uh, it, was, it was pretty clear to me it was JT Daniels. Because
4: when you would ask Graham about the ability to run the ball, he would
1: say something like,
4: oh, that's nice. That's but nice. it wasn't like this that's offense nice. is
1: based – it was like a zone read mesh kind of thing that Gerard was talking about where the, the quarterback has to run the football. It's more about identifying what's going on. He doesn't want JT to overthink it. He doesn't want to like JT – JT Daniels doesn't need to know exactly what the defense is doing. He just needs to see, okay, I can see this receiver is going to get open here. I'm going to throw it. The receiver's going to run to grass, which is what they say, run to grass, and he throws them in the football. And that's kind of what they want him to do. So. Yeah,
4: I mean, the overthink question is, in the quarterback room, they every day go over what they're going to do. And JT would, like, take four pages of, you know, notes on a yellow pad. You know, they don't need to do that. JT, we're just going to just go out there and play. You don't need – you're not coaching it. Now, unfortunately, last year – JT probably had to halfway coach that offense. I mean, he was as much responsible for it as anybody, I think. That's not the case this year. Yeah.
1: Any thoughts, Gerard, before we uh... –
4: No, do we have any more recruiting questions? I want to get those.
0: Wait, we got, those I think
1: we're done. No, we we're done? More... <laughs> no more I, think we, we, I think we call the, the – you know, <laughs> if there's one last one, MD, do you have one more? No, we're good. All right, I think, I think we're going to wrap it up because we, we can still hang out and have. it's almost 6 o'clock. Holy crap. Yeah. So we've been talking for three hours. But I just really want to thank everybody for coming out here. This is awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, so fun. Like, we've never done anything like this before. And we had so many special guests and former players and fun people to come up here, my whole staff. Uh, thanks for all of you coming out. And thanks to all you guys for, for coming out and asking the questions or anything. So we appreciate you. Do you have a little question? yeah. yeah. <laughs> thanks again. Thanks so much.